Life from Carlisle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got lots of abuse about Carlisle. Most of my prep was actually yeah. writing abuse about Carlisle. Oh, I think we'll get onto all that, won't we? The Squareball Podcast. To buy the Squareball magazine, get back issues and podcasts, visit thesquareball.net. In this edition of the pod, we interrupt the brotherly love and high-sixing at Carlisle to analyse the events at Brunton Park. We look back at our own civilised adventures on the pitch and Carol Vorderman crunches the numbers on our promotion campaign. Hello and welcome along to the Square Ball podcast. I'm Dan Moylan, host for the show. And in the studio, our usual band of merry men, Michael Normanson, fellow editor of the Square Ball. Hello. Uh, Daniel Chapman goes by the name of Moscow White. Hello. And Paul O'Dowd, the man known as Oddie. Hello. Uh, and welcome along to you. First up, got to say thank you very much as well for our uh, remarkable iTunes performance. In this last fortnight, we have hit the top 20 of the iTunes Sport and Recreation chart. That's in the whole UK. That's not like top 20 Leeds United podcasts. Well done, us. Have we oh. overtaken Gabby Logan now? I think she's she's pulled away, unfortunately. Uh, we, we were momentarily ahead of Alan Brazil, which was nice. Brazil? Uh, who, who is this Alan Brazil? Anyone, anyone any abuse to chip in about Alan Brazil? I think there's plenty to abuse. Drink driving convictions. Yeah, Man United as well, Scummer, obviously. Yeah. I just noticed as well from our um, our iTunes performance, uh, although it has been good, we've kind of yo-yoed up and down the charts. Uh, we've been overtaken by Airgun TV at various points um, during the last fortnight, which is, I imagine to, they have quite a lot to talk about on Airgun TV. Is it actually television footage of Airguns? Going or? by the name alone, I would I would say yes. Oh, but I think I think the big, in, sod this. The, the big the biggest blow to my confidence was seeing the fact that we were below the Satanta Sports podcast. Bearing in mind Satanta's been bust for about a year. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the air gun thing. Though, to be fair, there's a lot of football podcasts about. I mean, in the air gun world, I imagine this, that's probably the only one. So we've got a captive audience, probably lined up against a wall, <laughs> forced to listen or to get shot. So yeah, thank you very much for uh, for your uh, your contribution downloading the podcast. We'll crack Alan Brazil. <laughs> Enough with the nut puns. On with the show then. If you want to get in touch, you can get in touch with us via email, podcast at thesquareball.net, and we are also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we'll dive headlong now into part one, which is white watching, a look at the last fortnight's action for the Mighty Mighty Whites. Uh, so the games we've had since the last podcast... Uh, the Spurs replay lost 3-1, followed by the Hartlepool game 2-2, uh, JPT up at Carlisle, and then the away game at Leighton Orient. So only one victory in the JPT, but I think still a fair amount to be happy about, despite you know the obvious shortcomings. What do you reckon? It was strange how last time we were sort of dismissing the Carlisle game as just a, an annoyance that nobody really wanted to have anything to do with. But because of, I don't know if it's because it, there was a penalty shootout, it suddenly became... In the words of Kanye West, the biggest game of all time, <laughs> of all time. It was just, it seemed to matter. I don't know if it's because all those monkeys came on the pitch and started acting like it was monkeys. a big deal. Well, I don't know if, if they qualify as monkeys, if they're, if they're not walking on, on their, the back legs, but there was a lot of um, excitement in Carlisle that was just bemusing and made you think, well, maybe we've missed something about the Johnston's paint that that they understand and it actually is important but we won we can't overrule the fact that we did beat them 3-2 and we Kavanagh didn't score that was helpful he didn't die either which we were hoping for but <laughs> at least not scoring I think the fact that they went off probably uh, he went off along with uh, Scott Doby probably changed the game I think it helped and the change at the same time of bringing um, 
Johnson and Kilkenny on as well seem to make a massive difference for us because to be honest in that and previous games um, Doyle and Housen have either looked knackered from the start or certainly knackered by half time so I think, I think that was a, a major change for us and going back to the start of the fortnight, we did the last podcast on the eve of the uh, of the Spurs replay, and we kind of had mixed expectations. And, and obviously, it didn't come to pass that we beat them. It, in many ways, it was was it a perfect result? You think because we put on a decent performance, but we were let's be fair, convincingly beaten, weren't we? It was a graceful exit. Yeah, we didn't let ourselves down. I think Tottenham let themselves down by playing the ball into the corners with ten minutes to go, trying to waste time. Oh, that was shameful from a a Premier League team playing a third division team. They should look at themselves and, and cry. And we had that we had that fifteen minute spell which was magical really. It was a lovely a lovely little moment in the ground when uh, when we, we could sort of sense that a goal was coming and it was uh the crowd were all behind it. The Spurs fans were abysmal throughout. Um can you blame them for not being up for a trip to third division Leeds, no matter how big a game it may be in the grand scheme of things? Are they, is it worth criticising? Mind you, they didn't sell the tickets, did they? So? They didn't sell the tickets, they didn't sing. They didn't they, sing at their place particularly. When they did sing, it was about Arsenal or it was really stupidly slowed down. That version of glory, glory that they do, just annoying. They're playing it on 33 instead of 45, yeah. yeah. Twats. The class of Defoe did tell in the end, didn't it? It looked like he was going to score from the first minute. He did, yeah. I mean... Ankergren aside, he, he would, on an ordinary day, probably had five or six, really. Um, Ankergren and him have had quite a good little battle throughout the games. Um, had to say he won, really. I mean, Defoe obviously got, got a hat-trick, but strange that you might you might somehow judge Ankergren to have, uh, have matched him, really, because he was absolutely superb again. And his first goal was fluky. Oh, completely, yeah. <laughs> most, of the cra- most of the cop were giving it a bit of a wee, and then, they were, oh, shit, <laughs> oh, it's in. <laughs> Because from the angle I was at, anyway, it looked like it, would, it ballooned it way over yeah. the bar. But then, because it had no pace in it at all, it eventually just dipped down and it dropped into one, the one area that we couldn't get anyone near it. Unfortunately, well, I was directly above it, in line with it, in the east upper, and that's yeah, that's exactly what we thought. We thought, ah, idiot, oops, oh, it's gone in. <laughs> Never mind. The other disappointing thing of the game was that uh, Redknapp's face didn't appear to melt any further <laughs> under the, under the floodlights. <laughs> all right, straight after that, then we uh, we hoped for. Well, a good performance, and we went up to Hartlepool. Uh, Beccio, as they keep insisting on calling him on Sky Sports, uh, Luciano Beccio scored both of ours. His first double ever for the club as well. Drew 2-2. Crap ending. Yeah, I went up to it. It was um, really disappointing. first sort of hour or so, we were well on top. With Beckford on in particular, we looked dangerous. Then half-time, he went off. Uh, again, Housen and Doyle started to drift out of the game um, they were just picking up every second ball then in midfield and when we scored the second it was against the run of play really uh, and the, the goal came as no great surprise even though it was a bit of a heartbreaking end another ground I've really no urge to go back to <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, their fans ahead of, ahead of the abuse of uh, Carlisle are going to get their fans need mentioning as well for having them they've got kind of like a little embarrassing boys pen that sort of are by the away fans and it's made up of mainly like 15 year old kids in man new shirts and blokes in the 30s who should know better why would you do that why would you turn up to another ground in another club shirt I've no idea I- you can excuse maybe like Barcelona or Real Madrid but why would you do that but somehow he seemed very pleased with himself anyway this lad who had uh, his man new shirt on I think it was the same same bloke as last year did it but, you yeah, know the up to date kit as he traded up since it was it, it was the, uh, the black away kit he had on Congratulations to him. That was 40 quid well spent. <laughs> Just to rile Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> it's the parents I feel sorry for in that situation. Uncle, as he calls him. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of inbreds, yeah, so then we go on to uh, Carlisle 2, Leeds 3. Quite a turnaround, wasn't it? Um, it? It was a bit of a drab performance, I thought, but, you know, the last sort of 15, 20 minutes, got to give a bit of credit to us for, 
you know, we never really got out of third gear, did we? And we um, probably deserved it on balance, I think. It seems to be um, what we'll touch on with the Leighton Orient game as well, that as soon as Doyle and Housen were um, retired, we started to look like the team that we, we wanted to be. And from that point on, I guess from that substitution going into the Leighton Orient game, things have been looking pretty peachy. Across the two games with Carlisle, we, we were very unlucky because at home... Beckford could have had a hat-trick inside 20 minutes and then both of the goals the other night were, were kind of lucky there too. One of them was a, a ball that was played into, um, was it Lubo or Naylor? And then bounced it, off Lubo's leg. Bounced yeah. off Lubo and then fell to them and then the second one, Lubo messed it up. So they didn't actually really create any chances on the night. Um, we pretty much the better team throughout, I thought, despite look, the first half was fairly drab all round. But. And we discovered that Gradle is absolutely mental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not quite sure what he was... Aiming to do really, he just seems to be. He seems to be very annoyed at being offside all the time. But isn't that not his own fault? Yeah, <laughs> it seems to be one of these things where now he's been signed and we've paid a fee for him. And presumably, when they were convincing him to come, they were saying, "Look, you're a brilliant player. You're gonna you're gonna be an absolute star for Leeds United." And ever since then, he's run out on the pitch saying, "I'm a star player for Leeds United," and and he's not gonna brook any nonsense from uh, the likes of Neil Kilkenny, who's done nothing in the game, um, or. <laughs> any of the other thousands of people that he appeared to want to take on against I did, Carlisle. I did wonder if he looked around the stadium and thought Neil Kilkenny looks like the softest man in there, so, <laughs> so I'll pick on him as I'm only small. But he was having a go at McSheffrey as well, which is, you know, it's like, you cost four million quid at one day, Max. It's like, is it, Are you being a bit unfair to him? Is it not a case that he's just desperate to impress and he's trying too hard? I think so. He just, he, I didn't have a big problem with it. I was worried about him in the actual game, either getting lamped by one of his own teammates or getting sent off. Um, I think all he needs is, is um, I guess the cliche is he needs to channel that aggression <laughs> and uh, and use it in a more positive way to help the whole team, which is what we've been asking Beckford to do for years. On to Leighton Orient then, fourth and final game in this particular run. One all, we smashed him for at least an hour, didn't we? And should have thumped him comfortably. Yeah, it's one of those days, I think. And again, it shows how important Beckford is to us because it was possession of for the entire first half, most of the second, and just didn't manage to convert anything. You've got to imagine if Beckford was on, he probably would have grabbed one. Just like I say, just one of those one of those things. Really, we eventually we eventually got the goal, which we deserved, which was a, a lucky one when it when it eventually came. But um, I suppose you've got to just take the point and move on from it. And that man Beccio again, Beccio, yeah. good old Beccio. He's tried his best to claim it, hasn't he? But there's absolutely no way it should <laughs> be given to him. He's no. doing his best. Well, just final note in this section then to Beccio. Becchio, his goal celebration against Spurs, how good was that? Loved it. Couldn't see it when you were in the ground, because I was um, back row of the, of the East Stand, the actual back row, and it leaks up there. That's, I don't know if, Is that not like watching Sabutio, wet Sabutio? It was very, it was like, well, looking up, there's a, a, a rusty gutter, and it made me think of um, being, uh, oh no, I'm building up to a really bad joke about <laughs> um, Jerry Halliwell. Um, <laughs> But you just saw him running away and you weren't really sure what he was doing and then get home and thought, well, uh, we'll at least watch um, that 15 minutes of the of the game. And uh, I keep thinking that Jerry Halliwell's rusty gutter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just to explain that one as well, that you've done the article for, it's, I would say you're gently massaging Luciano aren't you, in, in the latest edition of the Square Ball, which is currently being designed as we speak. First, he ran headlong into the ITV camera and, and did his little Maradona bit, which is the basis of the article and then um, that it inspired a rousing rendition of Marching On Together going into half time which I don't think I've great. ever heard anything like great, that before 
it just carried on and it just gave everybody a really positive feeling. And uh, and so I thought, in, in return, Luciano, Biccio, however it's pronounced, <laughs> deserved a, a little a little tribute. How do we summarise this last fortnight? Past the worst of it, hopefully. We seem to be coming out of the really bad patch of form with defeats against Exeter and uh, and Swindon. And it has been encouraging. I mean, it seems we've got a disappointing slant on it because we eventually went out to Carlisle, but we did beat them convincingly. And we should have beaten Leighton Orient convincingly as well. So hopefully, three on paper anyway, easy home games to come. Yes. It'll, mark, it'll mark the end of our of our sticky patch. There, you said it. Which, <laughs> That's it. Yeah. There, the square ball curse returns. I was going to say, it's good news that we're dominating teams again. We don't seem to have done that for a while. It's been too even for too long, whereas now we've not got the result against Leighton Orient, but um, we did at least overrun them big style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if the result didn't quite, uh, quite go to plan, uh, hopefully it will come. And that puts that to bed. End of part one, and we'll be back in a moment. Part two, looking at the talking points from the last fortnight. www.thesquareball.net And after that brief pause, welcome back to part two of the Squareball podcast. Uh, we look at the uh, the talking points from the last fortnight, and I guess where else to start but the Carlisle inbreds running on the pitch and, and punching our players. It's probably just worth inserting a little caveat here before we go any further that we do acknowledge that our fans have never you know, been angelic, but you know it's happened, hasn't it? So let's talk about it. We do at least we might not be angelic, but we do have the correct number of fingers, <laughs> <laughs> and none of them have webbing. <laughs> they always accuse, well, they always blame that kind of thing on an idiot minority. But I don't think Carlisle that's really something that applies. It's normally the sensible minority that ruins it for the uh, the imbeciles in Cumbria. Should we give a quick mention to our Cumbrian listeners, assuming we do have some? So yeah, apologies yeah. to you if you're from Cumbria. Uh, so, sorry, John. Sorry to your, your mum and your sister. <laughs> just tell her we're sorry. It was nice to see such a big family gathering on the pitch, actually. <laughs> it just seemed like they got a little bit excited at seeing so many people walking around with two legs. They just wanted to go and touch them, <laughs> see if they were really real. It, it's like when you go to the zoo and you're not sure you interpret maybe the animal's gestures as anger, but really it's just curiosity. No, the, the, the monkey's normally wanking. That's normally <laughs> There was one guy, I don't know if you saw it, if you watched it on the telly, you know when Greg Abbott was being interviewed at full time, like this guy made a mad dash to speak to him. And if you saw the guy who ran on behind him and started waving, and if he's not the product of a brother-sister relationship, <laughs> you'll never see a better example, honestly. Have you seen the film The Goonies? You know Sloth from The Goonies? <laughs> Do you remember that character? Hey, you guys! If you haven't, by the way, and you're listening, have a look for it on YouTube, stick Sloth and Goonies in. Um, and he was the absolute spit of Sloth. I, I just can't believe that people like that are let out. I know it's wrong to make fun of uh, kids probably as well, but there was, there was some little kid on his dad's shoulders doing like a thumbs up thing to the camera at one point, and he looked like a bizarre little creature. He looked like a little gremlin or something. A little that golem. Had, that had been perched. Speaking of Lord of the Rings, actually, it was all a bit of a, a Lord of the Rings battle scene at the end, when they were all <laughs> launching themselves over the... Uh, over the hardings, but I mean, I mean seriously though, what, what what do we make of it? We, do we have have the right to to get upset about this? I mean, yes, they punched our player. Of course, we can get upset. It's not the biggest deal in the world, and um, as long as we complain about it, and I don't know what the punishment should be. Fifteen was, points off for us, I think. I was yeah. amused by somebody who said that um, perhaps we'd get um, a replay against them, <laughs> so that we have the chance to go to the JPT final, which is the last thing we want. If they <laughs> off, just let them off if that's going to be the. the the deal, but um, yeah, you can't have people running on and and um, attacking footballers because they're 
precious to me. <laughs> I think the thing is, it's just it's disappointing that no one's actually come out and said it shouldn't have happened. It seems that Carlisle and the police have both said, oh, well, it's nothing to do with us. It's not it's our fault. The book. Yeah. What's worrying me with Carlisle is they're coming more and more our rivals. Like, there's becoming a thing between Leeds and Carlisle with the playoffs and now the JPT and now this, and with Kavanagh always scoring and with them having the Paul Ian Huntington fist-pumping incident as well. And so we've ended up in this position where once we had massive rivalries with likes of Scum and, I don't know, Liverpool. These were all our rivals. And now we're getting into a bit of a ding-dong with Carlisle every couple of weeks. It's like, Promo- it, no, promotion's got to come. Just let it be. We don't, we don't want to see you ever again. And the other thing about their celebrations that I was touching on before is their, this this weird excitement about the Johnson's Paint Trophy. With, you know, if it really matters that much to them, I just three minds would say, have it. Have the trophy. Have your horrible little stadium. Have your sister. We don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> are we are we not in danger, though, joking aside, are we not in danger of, of being that arrogant club that everyone thinks we are I mean if, if anything this this few years in, in uh, Division 3 has, I think it's taught us a little bit of humility and I think we've acted with general humility it's just that our expectations happen to be higher are we not now in danger of slipping back into that arrogance or? maybe but they punched our player <laughs> so <laughs> yeah okay screw yeah, it. and it is the it is the Johnson's paint trophy I yeah. really couldn't care less about it if we'd got to the final we'd probably lost anyway they'd probably done me a favour by saving saving a few hundred quid on a weekend in London and possibly some liver damage yeah Yeah. I mean and the fact is you know they're getting out of Carlisle for the weekend you'd be happy yeah. as well yeah well, another day in London and drag yeah. my knuckles on the gold paved streets <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's worth saying as well and I'll, I'll put this out to, to everybody who's listening uh, if you were genuinely disappointed by losing in the JPT, please email us now, podcast at thesquareball.net, and we'll give everybody a personal mention. Because you can't get too disappointed by that, can you? I mean, I think I, I liken it to, it's, it's a bit like failing to pull a fat bird. It's kind of embarrassing <laughs> in the short term, but in the longer term, if you've got that sort of thing in your figures, you don't want that, you don't want, it'd be worse to have done it than to have not done it, I think. Are you it's, speaking from experience here? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> if somebody, I've read about somebody phoned up Yorkshire Radio and I had a go at Eddie Gray about um, not getting his day out in London and was going on and on about I haven't got my day out in London it's like well generally if you collect newspapers over a period of a month you can get a train ticket for a quid or something there's always offers <laughs> it, you can go it's not the worst thing that ever I think happened when, when, to when United. Eddie's frame of reference is the European Cup final I think he's, he's got the right to not be that bothered by yeah. the JPT hasn't he I would have happily won it I would have happily put it on Leeds United's uh, Trophy cabinet moved on, but if it's not to be, I don't know if we're going to particularly uh, sweat over it too much. One thing to emerge from the Carlisle game um, was this issue, as we mentioned, we touched on it in the uh, in the previous section about uh, our midfield pairing, and we saw Johnson and Kilkenny come on and, and, and turn the game. And there's been complaints about Housen and Doyle, uh, you know, on forums and, and so on. Uh, what do we think about our best midfield pairing? The, the two of them played really well, didn't they, on uh, on Saturday at Leighton Orient? Yeah, and I think Housen and Doyle have just been poor for far too long now we've kind of put with Housen because he's passed the ball to Beckford in the cup a couple of times <laughs> but that's really all he's done this well this calendar two good year. passes I think yeah yeah <laughs> he's, he's done his his bit in those games but that aside he's really not done anything he's he seems to be neither a defensive nor an attacking midfielder he just seems to mainly chase shadows and not really do a great deal but he's from Leeds so you know that's fine come on <laughs> seems Johnny. to be the general consensus on it whereas Doyle gets loads of stick who, who is a, is a Admittedly, done exactly the same thing, 
but he seems to get a lot of stick for his house and doesn't. Do you, you think Grayson actually knows his best? Well, I was just about to say, do you think this is a bit of a blind spot, actually? That was my next yeah. question. Well, he's been very reliant on Doyle, and he brought him in especially to do whatever it is he's been doing. And he and he's, he played he's every game, practically, until he's just recently been dropped. But I think it is maybe telling that this season-long loan, hasn't. there's been no hint of it becoming a permanent move, which has always been Grayson's thing, that if he likes a player, he'll try and get them for good. Try before you buy. Yeah, and he has. Into lunatics. <laughs> and he has. He's stuck with him, but even he seems to be losing faith. And you're right about Housen as well. I think that I was watching him, especially against Tottenham. And maybe it's difficult because it was a, a, against a Premier League team, but his decision making just seemed to be. As if he had an option, either to pass inside or outside, he didn't know what to do. He, he'd just lose it. Whereas when he does play, when he's out wide right and he only has to play inside he's absolutely fine because the decision's made but as soon as he's got an option he seems to fall down whereas um, I don't know if Johnson and Kilkenny maybe have just got the confidence that Housen and well Housen especially lack in those situations they do whatever Johnson was on fire before he got his injury and banging goals in and yeah, he was like a, a modern-day Gary Speed wasn't he if you remember when Speed first broke mm. through and he was uh, banging him in loads wasn't he from the left-hand left side I think Johnson for this league anyway, I know you're never going to get a kind of a complete midfielder, but as a, as a kind of a box-to-box option in the middle, he's, he's pretty much all we've got because I don't really rate anyone else in, from our midfield that would be able to head a ball clear in defence, run to the other end and stick it in the net in this kind of, I suppose, Bowyer-esque sort of way. So maybe Johnson in the middle might work like that eventually. Um, it's just whether or not he's given time there. Turning our attention to other players uh, that have been linked with us, and obviously the transfer window shot and we're into loan territory now, uh, but somehow Paul Dickhoff, of all characters, he's he's materialised on the radar. <laughs> I mean, and met with universal disapproval from everybody apart from Simon Grayson. He did a job for Grayson at Blackpool, I guess that's why. And he's always done... I think he's always placed it when he's not playing for you, you hate him. If he didn't have this history and he just turned up, if we had Paul Dickoff, age 22, being a wanker in a lead shirt, we'd all love him. But because he did it at all these other clubs, there's that natural hatred. I don't want him. What are we going to do with 37-year-old Paul Dickoff? Slightly Bowyer, wasn't it? The, the, was it the Birmingham fans organising protests when they were going to sign him? Yeah. He's a lovely lad. I don't know if we'd go that far as actually turning up at the stadium with um, with banners. I hate you, Paul. <laughs> Very but, camp banner, <laughs> but it, it may not even be an issue since he's had a he's had a, an offer from Toronto, so he's flown to America, which somebody maybe needs to kick him on to go a bit north. Yeah, um, and then but Grayson still thinks he's coming back, doing all those miles. I assume he's flying, unless he's an old fashioned chap. <laughs> taking a boat maybe he's right now on the well, we, steamer trying to get to Toronto we'll have to, you'd have to go around um, Nova Scotia you might be sailing through Nova Scotia as we speak <laughs> like some kind of uh, old fashioned maritime stevedore just maybe he can't afford the passage he's having to work I was going to say when he gets back maybe we could just turn all the lights off at Thorpe Arch and, uh, and pretend we're not there yeah no, nobody's in Paul we've all, <laughs> he's moved yeah you may have some new uh, tattoos <laughs> He's not a sailor. I would Wilkinson over there. Oh. oh dear, mate. Something else I noticed from the last fortnight, on the same day that we played Hartlepool, uh, there was a scheme at Mansfield which allowed fans to pay whatever they liked for a ticket. Uh, and it kind of begged the question in my mind, what do you think would happen at Leeds? Do you think there'd be like a protest vote against Bates and the perceived high ticket prices? Yes. Definitely. Yeah, nobody would pay out. I don't think they just perceived high ticket prices. I think category <laughs> yeah. category for Oldham is 
ridiculous. It's just a bizarre decision, that one, I think. <laughs> well, when, I think... when Spurs was Category B, which is a game that would sell out anyway. But the reason for that was because you share the profits of that game, don't you? So you're not interested yeah, yeah. in taking... But uh, you still get half of it. Surely you want half of a bigger sum. <laughs> I thought Ken was going to be some kind of business genius. <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? We've got to just own up to the fact that the the team is in Yorkshire and it is supported by Yorkshire people. And if the opportunity is there, you can pay what you want. So oh, well, I won't pay out. I was reading about the Mansfield thing and people, apparently they, they did sell out the ground. They had, they had to turn, they put some people in the um, away pen and then once that was full, they had to turn people away. But the um, the range... Um, some people did pay 50 quid to get in but some people paid three pence which I thought was nice ah threepence you can have that plus I think it works for Mansfield because they're run by three Mansfield fans and the awfully named FC United um, did it with their season tickets where you paid it was 90 quid was the minimum but you could pay as much as you wanted and people paid a load of money because it's a supporters trust and everybody trusts them we don't actually know who owns Leeds United and the guy who fronts them He's not got a, tra- a track record of trustworthiness when it comes to money. So an opportunity to not have to give him 25 quid, that would be how it would be perceived in my eyes. Well, it tells a story, I think, that um, Mansfield said that the gate receipts were up, which we'd expect because they had an increase in attendance, but they won't release what the final figure is. True. They also said it was great for the players to play in front of a, a full house and they lost 2-0. <laughs> so <laughs> Leeds United syndrome, people turn up, Leeds lose. Yeah. I'd feel no guilt, I must say, in paying nothing for a few games because yeah. I feel like I've, I've put enough in over the years that I'm <laughs> entitled to probably a few freebies. There's that, that little patch behind the John Carver. I feel entitled to a refund for all those games <laughs> and nothing else. Well, it's an interesting thought, isn't it? But uh, obviously it's not going to happen because uh, I don't think Mr Bates would ever, ever entertain that idea. Um, so moving swiftly on. Uh, another thing that happened in this last fortnight, I found out that Clark Carlisle, former uh, centre-half of Leeds, has just recorded an episode of Countdown. Now, it didn't specify whether he was going to be in Dictionary Corner or a contestant, so I presume it's as a contestant. What do we make of this? I, I quite childishly looked at nine-letter words and came up with alcoholic, Carlsberg, Budweiser, Glenlivet, Bollinger. <laughs> Blackwell. <laughs> but that's maybe a bit harsh. Um, he's reformed, isn't he? He's he is, he is. He's sorted himself out. Perhaps he's a bit of a troubled genius as well, because I, I found out that he's got five A stars and five A grades at GCSE, and he was named Britain's brainiest footballer, wasn't it, in, in some sort of recent TV quiz? i surprised he wasn't burnt as a witch, as a footballer, <laughs> getting with those kind of grades. Well, good luck to you, Clark Carlisle, and um, we hope you win. In both Countdown and, and your <laughs> battle with Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Is he not reformed alcoholic? I think these are these are very cheap shots, aren't they? Not? They are indeed. Yeah. Yeah, very cheap shots. That's probably what got I was going to say in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> On which high point, I would say, uh, well, we'll tie that section up. Get in touch with us then if you want to uh, share your tales of spelling and countdown conundrums. Podcast at the squareball.net, the email address, and stay right where you are because we'll be back in moments with part three. Welcome back, and we will tread purposefully straight into part three, our feature section. And we did struggle a little bit for ideas this week, but we thought, what more obvious place to go than on the pitch? So we set ourselves uh, the general title of on the pitch, um, and you can do with it what you will, be it times you've played, times you've invaded. Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll go first, because his mind sticks with Carlisle, actually, from when we played, went up there in the, um, in the playoffs, and they came on the pitch then as well. I don't know what they were hoping to achieve that day particularly, but... Um, they, they kind of trudged on from their way end in front of a big line of police um, 
No, didn't really do anything. The Leeds fans weren't weren't particularly interested. Then the police released a dog, and uh, <laughs> and they all they all scurried back into the back into the stands, which was which was a lovely little scene. What kind of dog was it? Not sure. I think the dog might have been carrying a book. <laughs> Possibly that scared them more than the dog. I'm not sure. <laughs> I could be quite jealous of their celebratory pitch invasions in a way because the only time I've invaded a pitch as a, as a Leeds fan was out of abject misery when we were relegated from the, the Premier League and it just seemed to be more of a, a, a general wandering about than an invasion. I was, did you not? Uh, were you not the guy who had Alan Smith um, shoulder high? I wasn't. That was happening near me um, as I was walking on and I did look at it and think, nah. That's what everyone says now. Well... <laughs> I definitely had the mindset of just we've just been relegated. Why are we sharing any of these losers off? And it, it, it didn't fit with me. I was more um we were more concerned. First thing we did was make for the penalty area. We took a few um air penalties, pretended we had a football. And uh I, I got um I scored all mine. They all went in the top corner, which was which was uh, pretty handy. So if, if Beckford wants some hints <laughs> or or Bromby wants some hints, um I can help him out with that. And then we made for the um we made for the dugouts and we did um, some pretend substitutions. That was pretty good. Because it was really, it was, a, it was a dark day that we'd been building up to a long time and the only way we could really get some enjoyment out of it was to drunkenly pretend we were footballers and just uh, hold up an imaginary number board, shaking hands as we came off, bit of warming up, running on, ready for action and then turn around and, <laughs> turn around and do it for the others. I've just realised you were probably the people that I was today thinking, look at those silly twats. Well... <laughs> Well, we, it was all it was all good, clean fun, and then obviously somebody went past with Alan Smith, and somebody went the other way, and they had a corner flag, and I thought, well, it's getting a bit airy now, so we got out. I think it'd have been less embarrassing if you just smashed the dugouts up or something. <laughs> personally, <laughs> we still had a little bit of respect. It was just a, a nice opportunity to be somewhere that you aren't normally. <laughs> Well, I've, I've got a vision of you. You sometimes see kids in full kit, don't you? At football matches, I've got visions of you and your mate in full kit. Yeah, it's t- we had we had that on, and no, we didn't. Socks up to your knees. I'm trying to stop me because you got taken off. Yeah. yeah, I did a straight down the tunnel, yeah. shirt off, your boa style. We've not really had the opportunity for a sort of big we've won the cup um, pitch invasion for a, a long time. And I, remember, I think the last one was probably the '92 Championship win, when apparently a Leeds fan. Um, in keeping with the theme, punched Gary Speed um, out of sheer exuberance. <laughs> Apparently, it was an accident, but Gary Speed got a black eye or something. And was uh, was not in, not impressed. Um, just to pick up on something you mentioned there, you said mm. you were taking air penalties. Um, yes, and it just made me think of something that relates to on the pitch. If if you're not uh, a regular, you don't get to Ellen Road. You won't be aware that they do this at half time when they take three shots from the halfway line and the aim is to get one in the in the goal isn't it and you win a radio don't you a DAB radio it's always a radio pizza now. We've still oh, got, and you get a pizza we've, we've still got hundreds of radios to go <laughs> well, still... I was going to ask why are they all so piss poor just none of them ever score they just pick the guy who's got one leg shorter than the other and get him to limp on the pitch and... at Tottenham when he could barely get it out of the centre circle I, it was one, if I hadn't been so far up in the east end I, I would have invaded the pitch just to get him off <laughs> it felt like a mercy killing had to take place I'm, I'm unsure about the competition at the moment because this pizza thing getting a voucher so you can have one that night that's fine but I don't want to be going back in at the stands with a, with a pizza just when the second half's about to start it's a massive 12 inch thing in a box and <laughs> <laughs> you say Andy Robinson normally uh, amongst the volunteers for it. <laughs> he's, not, he's not normally busy at that time is he? <laughs> but uh, yeah going back to the topic at hand uh, my on the pitch memory 
um, goes back to Bournemouth actually when we were down there a hot and heady weekend and I was only I think 11 I think or 12 and I want to sort of explain this in the context that this would never happen imagine this happening now Leeds United fans travelling anywhere and we were in the the um, stand behind the goal the terrace the Brighton Beach Terrace and we were stood at the very very front and obviously it was very very hot if, if anyone remembers this it was about 9500 degrees that weekend bank holiday weekend at the seaside and the copper who was manning the gate just uh, said to said to me and my cousin who I was there with and my mum and dad said do, do you lads want to come and sit by the pitch uh, and he did he, he opened the gates and we went and sat just by the corner flag leaning against the advertising hoardings and if you ever see footage of that game there's, there must be some knocking around somewhere um, you'll probably see two lads sat in the corner flag just sat there watching the game and it was great and we watched the game from that position but when Chapman scored up at the other end me and my cousin stood up and made for the pitch but sort of <laughs> thought better of it I got a second this will probably result in something bad as you do when you're about 11 or 12 so we turned around and went and sat back down but we were the first on the pitch at full time when all the, the fans were climbing off the barriers but it just wouldn't happen these days a copper letting a, a Leeds fan onto any pitch would it? Well, that was the game when um when there was the big pitch invasion, where well, the police tried to set an alsatian on Chris Kamara because they didn't believe he was a player, <laughs> and um, and he he had to frantically just say, "No, I'm I'm a Leeds player. It's let me off." And um, and the the game before that, the the Leicester game, I wasn't at that, but the the footage of the pitch invasion from that is one of my favourite bits of Leeds United film because it seems like everybody in the entire stadium was on the pitch, and there's this shot when John Helm. It's just going, is that confirmed? Is that confirmed? Oh, it was when rumours were coming through that Newcastle had lost, hadn't it? Yeah, promoted, right. yeah. Everybody on the pitch is just jumping up and down with their arms going. And it looks like if you see a nature programme when they show a swarm of locusts devouring a crop, a field of crops, it looks like that kind of footage. Just You can't see the pitch. You can just see people going mental. I would love to have been a part of it, but I just had to make do with wandering morosely on at the end of a relegation game. Well, that was going to be one of mine. My other one was... Um, Pre Euro '96, Leeds had a big museum type thing at the at the ground. So I'd taken my two cousins, who were then about nine and eleven, to do the museum thing. Then we did the stadium tour, so it goes round the dugouts, the tunnels, comes out on the pitch. Big signs on the pitch: "Please keep off the grass." My two cousins go running across the pitch, and the stewards come out, "Get off the bloody pitch!" <laughs> so I just start walking in the opposite direction, thinking they're not with me. Look at kids on there. I did that as well when I was a kid when they used to train on Fullerton Park and me and my dad went down and I think they'd long since finished training and some kindly fellow from inside the club took us in and took us round chairman's suite trophy room dressing rooms it was unbelievable my dad had never uh, had never seen anything like it in his life and they took us out to pitch side down the tunnel and I did I stepped over the grass it's like it's just a patch of grass but it's it's the hallowed turf isn't it and you're not supposed to uh, not supposed to transgress it there was an issue about transgressing the hallowed turf when I went to see Manchester City when they were in the third division because I had a friend who supported them and I went to their playoff match against Wigan I think it was and they won obviously all their fans um, started invading the pitch and I because I didn't give a toss about Main Road or Manchester City I was just there for a game I said to my mate are we going on and he was like no I can't go on there and I said well what difference does it make it's just a patch of grass and eventually managed to uh, convince them to actually go on the pitch but this doesn't feel right this but the way we managed to um, smooth it over was because the pub we were going to afterwards was at the far end of the ground so I said well rather than going out that way and walking round we'll just walk across the pitch and go out the other end it's like oh okay yeah that, that makes some kind of sense and that's how we managed to get through it was it was just a shortcut any other incidences of being on the pitch that we can uh, chuck in the mix? There was that woman at Warsaw um, the lady in red as Sky Sports um, described her 
because they picked up on it that when she was celebrating Beckford's goal, I think, by standing up on him, holding right at the front of the, the stander with her, her arms going and a fist pumping, and she takes this tumble, head forward, Chapman style, straight onto the running track. And then, actually, somebody said they'd seen her after that, Ellen Road, she turned up again in the same red coat. I don't know why you'd wear a red coat to a Leeds United Maybe game. she works for Butlins. Maybe she does work for Butlins, <laughs> and that might be her thing. <laughs> uh, maybe that's how she fell so well, because she's trained. But um, that was it, I suppose. She didn't want to be on the pitch, but... I got thrown off the pitch at Slavia Prague, but that was completely unrelated to Leeds. I just went up there for it to have a look at the stadium and it was open, so I walked in. That seems and fair. then some man came out and yelled at me, so I ran away like a child. All very interesting tales, chaps, thank you. Um, and I think it's it's a lesson in there for Carlisle fans proving that you don't have to go on a pitch and hit members of the, uh, of the Homo sapiens uh, species, do you? Leave the humans alone. Uh, and that ties up part three. Uh, coming next, part four, our predictions, and I look forward to what's happening in the next fortnight. And here we are, fourth and final part of the Square Ball podcast. Next one is coming out on Tuesday, the 2nd of March, uh, and that'll be the first midweek we've had off in seven weeks. Looking forward to it. What have you got planned? Anything? <laughs> do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Come in and do a podcast. Yeah, we've got a week off from Leeds United, so we'll come in here and talk about Leeds United. Uh, coming up before the next podcast in this uh, in this next fortnight, four more matches coming thick and fast. We've got Walsall at home on the day this podcast comes out, Tuesday the 16th. Followed at the weekend, uh, big cooey to Brighton. They hit town, uh, followed by Oldham at home, that Category A match, as we mentioned, on the 23rd. Um, finally, in this run of four games, uh, Saturday the 27th, kick-off at half 12 uh, and we go visit our, our near rivals, quote unquote, plucky little Huddersfield. Uh, got a series of three pretty pretty winnable home games there. Do you think they're going to sort of define the success of this season, where it's going to go from here? If we win them, I'll say yes. If, <laughs> if we lose them, I'll, I'll obviously try and put a brave face on it. I think That's exactly what I was thinking. I, I know it's a very it was a very cliched question, but we've got to look to take what do you say nine or ten ten points out of this series of four games if we're serious about it. Nine minimum, really. Yeah, You've yeah. got to look at those three home games and the, the ones you'd look at now and at the start of the season I think absolute nailed on home bankers sort of thing away at Huddersfield I, I don't know, I've been there the last couple of times and it's been a fairly dismal sort of game um, they've never really looked that much better than us but somehow they always manage to win dogs of war type thing isn't yeah. it I've not been saying this for a few weeks though that we need a a good game that we're going to absolutely smash someone and then just kick on it hasn't quite happened. Well, you could, you, you you would hope that one of these three, hopefully yeah. starting with Walsall, yeah. would, would be one of them where we can do that. But nothing's a given at the minute, is it? We need to take the good form from Orient and the second half at Carlisle and actually turn it into three wins. That's what it's got to be, I think. Because well, Norwich won't lost stop. Over the last few weeks. Well, that's it. It's, it's not been bad. Draws yeah. Out. It's just it's just been slight letdowns rather than outright tear jerkers. But it's got to. We've got to start matching Norwich instead of just going. Well, they only got maybe two points better than us. They only, they only, we matched them and stuff like this. We've got to start making up the ground again. And the late equaliser was a, a big plus, yeah, psychologically because we can hopefully kick on from that. And... Whoever scored it, yeah. <laughs> so, given our current points total of of sixty two, would you would you argue that we're two thirds of the way there now? What do you think we're going to need then? I mean, the the, the total that Glenn Snodden mentioned when I did the interview with him uh, for the magazine earlier this season was 90, 91, they reckon. So can we can we assume that that's going to be good enough or do we think we might need more this time? Charles seems to be stumbling a little bit. We need to go up. I think at the beginning mm. of the season we need to we wanted to go up as champions over the last few weeks. We'd, we'd settle for just going up. Um, I, think, I think it would be annoying if we didn't go up as champions. Yeah. I'd be 
annoyed. But is, is, is there not an argument that says we don't really want the League One trophy as a... Uh, uh, I know you've got to win everything that you're in, and, you know. Well, that's, that argument's annoyed me. People saying about the JPT would be a reminder of, of being down here. The whole reason everyone's going to remember the victory against Scum is because we beat them while we're in Division 3. I think it makes it a better win than it would have been if we were both Premier League teams at the time. And I think we're never going to forget that we were down here because we've been down here. We've had to watch Division 3 football for however many years it ends up being. A memory wipe isn't included in promotion. This happened. We're going to have to just keep... Just live with it. Just live with the fact that it happened and it is part of... Um, our history now we, we, it used to be a source of pride that we'd never been below the, the top two divisions it's gone it happened yeah we we can blame um, whoever we want Dennis Wise Kevin Blackwell David O'Leary Peter Ridsdale it doesn't matter it, it happened we're here um, and we may as well say that while we were down here we did the best we could it is a relief that Charlton have started slipping up as well because for a while it did look like us Charlton and Norwich were all going to somehow manage to get like 95, 100 points and someone would have to not go up despite getting that sort of total. And it would have been us. And it would have been us. <laughs> I was sad enough to look back at what totals people have got over the last few years. That's, and that's not sad, that's efficiency. That is, that's what I'll call it as well. <laughs> and 90 points has always been enough. Last season Leicester finished on 96 and uh, Peterborough on 89, which is as high as it's been for second place. Um, so you've got to have, sort of have faith that this year won't be remarkable um, and that 90 would be enough which if if you look at it on that that's 17 games to get 28 points 1.6 points per game which is if we just win our home games that's we're pretty much there he did um, that in his head it was incredible <laughs> I did not even have that written down but, it's like watching Carol Vorderman in action <laughs> but that, I mean that's just home game wins so you, you've got to back us to get the one away point that would get us to 90 so we've just got to keep keep plodding on really and Hope that we we can get there early. So in the last few games of the season aren't going to be uh, nail biting. We just really need to win home games and then pick up random points here and there on the road. You've got to accept that maybe we've got the we've got all the difficult away games left. Really, Norwich, Charlton. We traditionally do badly at Huddersfield, but you know they're not all difficult. We've got we've got some that are winnable. Home games should all be winnable technically. So I've, I've still got faith that we'll do it. I just think it's not going to be quite as easy as we were maybe hoping. I would back us in those difficult away games anyway. Yeah, we, we seem to come better. through sometimes, don't we, when the pressure's on. Yeah, Norwich aren't going to bring their whole game just to stop Leeds United playing because they might still be top of the league and and wanting to stay there. And we play better against teams that are actually open. So I've, I'm quite quietly confident. Well, not quietly confident, I'm speaking out loud. I'm confident <laughs> about the um, <laughs> the Norwich and Charlton games. We are going away to Charlton, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I've got to confess at this point all this business of points per game and how many we need to get promotion I just glaze over <laughs> I've got absolutely no idea how many points has Swindon got? Oh Swindon away off the pace 53 points Well Grayson and uh, Snodden kept muttering in the last couple of weeks about Swindon are coming up we're a bit worried I don't know if it was to make the result we got down there look better but suddenly they rated Swindon as a if Swindon catches were in serious trouble. But if Carol Vorderman in the corner over there thinks they're not going to be a problem, I'm I'm willing I can't disagree. I've got no no evidence. There's only the really there's only really Colchester who are still in the mix for it. Um but I I think it'll boil down to Norwich and Charlton. So looking ahead to, to when we're back in a in a fortnight with the next podcast, where do we hope to be at that point then with uh, these four games coming up? I'll be looking back on three home wins and, and the randomness of Huddersfield. It's my hope for the next fortnight. 
dare we venture into into prediction territory? I know we promised we would never do it with any sort of serious hat on, but I'm not predicting anything. I'll I'll leave. I'll shoot myself rather than make a prediction. Do you predict that's no serious hat you've got on? All right, can we get those ten points then that you, you think would be suitable out of this uh, out of this period of games? Yeah, of course we can. We've yeah. we've played all these teams already. Walsall away, we left it a bit last minute, but the other the other two we've, we've comfortably won. We look like we're coming back into a bit of form now. We're really nothing to fear from any of those teams. Uh, it's just whether or not we, uh, we we're out of this blip or not. Gus Poirier still owes us favours for uh, helping relegate us, so hopefully he'll he'll do the decent thing on Saturday. And um, I don't know what the decent thing might be in that context. Stay at home. They can't stay at home. <laughs> just carry on coaching in the way that he has been, really. <laughs> and does this put to bed the myth that um, he was some sort of soothsayer when Dennis Wise was about and he was the genius and the brains behind it? Because he's not exactly set bright in the light, has he? Yeah, I think I think as well, the other thing that's eroded that is that we've seen the players we had at that time and we've maybe come to realise some of them weren't that good and that it was just a lucky run of form we got on. Where there was sort of a lot of momentum, but really not a lot else. Like the, the players who were, who were key in that really, like Prutton, who now disappeared and we've, we've came, we kind of come to realise it was good form and nothing else really So in summary I think it's probably best to say watch this space and we'll have a, we'll have a better idea in a fortnight of, of how it's all going to pan out is that fair to say? I think so it's going to be down to keeping the form going that we've shown in the last game getting Beckford back would help Becchio keeping his, his scoring run going because Norbo's set for a return as well apparently um, in the next within the next couple of weeks we've so. realised how much we've missed him I think yeah big we? time yeah. He's, uh, we've looked not shambolic really, but he's certainly a calming influence at the back and seems to be a key organiser as well. Which leads us nicely into the next podcast. Uh, it's out on Tuesday, the 2nd of March. If you want to get in touch with us in advance of that podcast, podcast at squareball.net is the email address and you can contact us on Facebook and Twitter. Quick nod to the magazine as well. Uh, current issue is available now. Last few copies will be on sale for the uh, for the Warsaw game. If you're listening to this after the Warsaw game, there is a brand new issue out on Saturday the 20th against Brighton at home. Um, and somebody can give us the hard sell on that. Moscow, tell us about your article on 1996-1997, possibly one of the worst seasons in living memory. I was going to say, trying to do a hard sell on that season is very difficult. I've kept the football content to an absolute minimum. I think it ended um, really as a footballing spectacle when, on the opening day, Brian Dean got kicked in the bollocks and then couldn't play again for at least a month. It kind of summed up the start of the year. There was a the 4-0 defeat that saw off Wilco. An exciting takeover. All you, you may—I don't know if you're going to include the picture. A lovely full-color image of our uh, arena that obviously proposed in 1996 and uh, built very quickly, um, <laughs> without any problems whatsoever. But yeah, it, the coming of George Graham um, and the coming of Robert Molinar, Gunnar Haller, all your, all the family all favorites. All the flair players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and well, for flair players, we've got a, a little rundown on the comes and goings of uh, Thomas Brolin. That season, I've managed to get that down to just one paragraph. Uh, one thing definitely to look out for in the forthcoming uh, issue of the magazine is the all new full colour centre spread, and it's going to be a cracker as well. We've got a uh, a little teasing poster of uh, of uh, Visit Beast, and it's like a tourism style poster, which I think is going to be well worth uh, a giggle and probably worth your pound alone. I would say still a pound after all this time. It will, and we're drumming up business for Bates's Hotel. Um, I don't know why we're doing it, really. <laughs> Come to think of it, actually, when I was at Hartlepool, I bought their fanzine, which uh, claimed on the front to be officially the best fanzine in League One, and it's not, I can conclusively say. <laughs> they, they even had an article in it explaining what internet forums are, which I thought seemed a little bit um, a little bit backward, but never mind. <laughs> and, of course, all the usual uh, spots in the magazine as well. We've got White Watching in there looking at the, uh, at the first three weeks of uh, February. 
And as we mentioned before, Moscow, your uh, your little mini tribute to Luciano Becchio's celebration and a comprehensive review of January as well. All well worth your pound. Still a pound after 20 years. Make sure you buy it next time you're down at Ellen Road. If you're not at Ellen Road, you can buy it online via thesquareball.net. Same place uh, to get subscriptions for the mag. You get all the back issues there uh, from this season. You can find the, the chat forum and details about this podcast as well but I'm guessing if you're listening to it you've probably figured that bit out already uh, thanks to Radio Air for the studio use as always and a goodbye farewell a Zane, adieu to all you other chaps in the studio start with you Michael Normanson bye Daniel Chapman bye and you Paul O'Dowd goodbye thanks chaps next podcast as we mentioned uh, Tuesday the 2nd of March well, full previews of Brentford at home Tranmere away and Southampton away and we'll see you then to buy the Squareball magazine, get back issues and podcasts, visit thesquareball.net. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.